All right. Welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm Trevor Tordomasi, and this week I'm speaking with Wes Pearson, editor-in-chief at Black Asia Magazine, an online publication focusing on the lives of people from the African diaspora in Asia, with in-depth looks at the successes and struggles of their work and influence. So, Wes, correct. what is Black Asia Magazine? Uh, what is Black Asia Magazine? It's an online publication. Like you just said, we look at the lives of black people who majority of whom are not from Asia. There are people who look like me who are indigenous to places like Thailand or Vietnam or something like that or the Philippines, uh, mostly newcomers. And living in this part of the world and forging new communities, new identities, and also us as black people sharing resources and just working out whatever common problems we might have. So first, let's find a space where we can sit down together and talk about what these problems might be. And then from there, the next step would be uh, what are some possible positive solutions to these problems? Because they are unique to anything that anyone else would be facing. So yeah, it's that's what the site has been geared towards. Uh, I've been doing this for, in November, coming up on four years. Uh, the very first thing I decided to do was just to take stories of people. So if you're, you could be from, you could be from Cameroon or Nigeria, from the United States, different parts, or from the West Indies. Uh, how did you get out here? And what brought you out here? And what are you doing here? And what are some of the issues or struggles that you might be facing? And just to talk about that to get that out. What kind of content can we find? Okay, so content, I focus on about three things. I focus on vlogs, video content, uh, video interviews, uh, maybe entertainment pieces where someone's doing a music video. You might discover the next musical trend out here, something like that. Uh, Written pieces, essays, compositions, where someone might write about their opinion pieces or how they feel moving to this country or living in that country. And the third thing would be podcasts. it's something that you could possibly write, but it also works a lot better if you record this and have someone listen. Uh, maybe a 800-word essay would sound a lot better as a two-minute podcast about different topics, about finance, about buying land, about business, uh, about certain cultural phenomenons, things like that. These are the things that I put up on the site. Uh, to go a little bit further in depth, the site has four sections to it. It has a section called Your Stories, which is just... Something like what we're doing right now. I sit down and do a person-to-person interview with someone who has probably lived in Asia for a long time and discuss what their experiences have been and mainly focus on how they feel about being a black person here living in Asia. Uh, The second section would be blackonomics, business, finance. Uh, If you are a business owner, uh, what are some of the things you had to go through to establish your business? What kind of business, what kind of company do you have here? How is doing business here different from anywhere else? Uh, Things like that. Um, How is the economic or financial climate in the place where you're living? Also the legal hoops you might have to get, like cards and and visas and licenses. The kind of visa you need to specifically be working doing business there. Uh, If someone who's not black can look at this, it's in the public space, can look at this and find something that helps them, then fantastic, wonderful, That that's great. One of the pieces I can recall that went up there was a professor from, who's actually from Benin also, strangely enough, and he's a professor in Bangkok right now. Shout out to Roland Amasu. And he wrote a piece about the origins of salsa dancing coming from Benin. So ideas like that, ideas that thinkers like maybe... 
the civil rights movement, uh, the black power movement, uh, the Marcus Garvey's movement, uh, the negritude movement, things like that. So we can kind of gauge where we're, where we came from and then look at where we are now and then from there decide where we're going. That's pretty much the reason why the site exists in a few words. So then there's the fourth section is called What's Hot, which is arts and entertainment and culture. So people I know who are doing music, um, people who are performers in clubs out here, most of the music I've seen is Western music, rap, singing, R&B. I haven't seen any new trends yet, but I'm hoping to pick up on some new trends from... In, in, the, in the past how many years? Almost four. Almost four, okay. What are you hoping that people will, will learn from, from Black Asia Magazine? What will take away from this? Uh, okay, so internally and externally. Uh, let me talk about internally first. What I'm hoping to do is that going towards the future, if we can form a common identity and get some common ideas as the foundation of these communities out here, we can at least set a trend for black people in other parts of the world to say, look, those black people out there, they can work together and they can agree and come together and have some kind of unity among them, amongst themselves and be more successful in that. So that's internally. Externally, you have uh, what I like to call, it's almost like the Big Bang right now. You have this, all these situations in Asia where you have people coming, you have people going, you have almost like a lot of chaos. It's, and it's, it's not as chaotic as it was when I first arrived in Asia in 2005. And it's, it's slowly cooling. And these different communities, these different countries are slowly... They're slowing down. They're taking their various forms and shapes. And so you have all these different cultures coming into contact with one another. And there are some clashes. How do we minimize those clashes? How do we get these different communities to understand each other better? One of the things that, since I've interviewed people, one of the phrases that keeps coming out is, especially for us as black people, if we want our story to get told, then we have to tell it. So if you want an accurate representation of who these people are and what they're doing, look here. Look at Black Asian Magazine. Greater understanding is one of the, the directions that we're going in. I believe it says on the site somewhere, focus more on what brings us together, together rather than, than... what keeps us apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is the process like? Well, the first thing we look for is people who are living here. We try not to interview too many people who just got out here who are sort of fly by night. They're just going to be here for like maybe a year or two and then go back home. They're not sure what they want to do. We want to interview people who have the idea of putting down roots here and forming community here in Asia. So that's the first thing we look for, that you have at least a few years experience living out here and you have an understanding of what the culture is like and you know accurately what your reaction is to the culture here, wherever you're living. It could be in Thailand, it could be in Beijing. And so you have some interesting stories to tell. Other than that, we look for people who are not doing ordinary things, like, oh, I'm just teaching English. No, I'm also running a business. I'm also trying to open a dance studio. I'm also doing something that's a little bit out of the ordinary from what other people are doing. So those are the basic criteria. People who have a few years in country and people who are doing something a bit extraordinary. And there are no shortage of these people, in fact. Um, that's how I feel with, with actually with, with interviewing, too. When I first sat down, I was like, I have four great ideas or something. You were one of the first people who came to mind. Thank and you. then after like a, a couple of weeks, I was suddenly like, I only have these four people. But then I sat down and I started thinking about how many people are influencing around uh, uh, Taipei, Taiwan. What, what are, 
who's who's up to stuff that they're they're trying to to do something special for the international community or the Taiwanese community. Right. And I started realizing like there's so many. So there's I'm sure there's an unlimited on. number of stories you can tell. Yeah. Are there one or two stories that you felt most connected to in in your in your time writing this mag uh, for this magazine editing? There's a woman I know named Teray Simons who she's American and she lives in Bangkok and she works a lot with refugees who are from different probably countries in Africa who are living there illegally who get detained in Bangkok and having to go there and give them food and give them toiletries and just doing something that's very humane and a basic human level for these people that she's never known before. If I had to pick out one interview that really touched me for someone who's doing something very positive and very good, it would probably be that one. Mm. Yeah. And uh, and and the the mission of the magazine being this strong and clear. What do you think? Uh, how has this? How has the approach to this mission changed over time? How has it changed? Uh, I've learned more about lighting, more about video editing, more about audio recording, things like that, more about uh, what software to use to to edit videos, to edit audio files. Same here, man. It's the same boat. <laughs> yeah, just, it's a learning curve. At first, I hated the editing stuff. Where I, I tried to have someone else do it for me, which gets to be expensive. But you just end up having then to you do see, it yourself. Then you see one thing, and you're like, oh, I would have done that differently. Then you start doing it, and then yeah. it's all downhill from there. <laughs> um. How has uh, the questions that I've asked, that I ask, have evolved? Whereas before I started out with a set of like 10 very basic questions. And it was just like, you know, tell me a little about your background and uh, how'd you come out to be out here. I ask questions that are more specific to that person and try to learn a little bit more about that person now. And whereas before I just had a need to do an interview from a purely journalistic standpoint, what I have come to do is when I'm doing an interview, look at that person and try to see every person has a message that they want to speak out into the world that they have to say. So I try to look at that person and see what is this person trying to say? What are they telling me? And then capture that and write that down on paper. And so now when I approach interviews, there are the questions, but I try to ask questions which draw that out. What What about you? Uh, where Where are you from? Originally? Queens, New York. Queens, I was actually born in Brooklyn. I never lived in Brooklyn. I'm from St. Albans, Queens, Southeast Queens. And uh, and how did you end up uh, in Asia? Um, uh, let's see. I finished from SUNY Buffalo in uh, my university was upstate New York, and I finished there in 2003. And somehow this idea popped into my head that you can travel abroad as an English teacher. And I found a place in Barcelona, Spain, where I can get my TEFL certificate. And I did. I was in Barcelona for about two months. I learned Spanish in school. So I said I can go there and learn Spanish a little bit more, practice my Spanish, maybe get a job in Europe also. No jobs in Europe came through. And I was there, okay, for about another two or three weeks. And I said, all right, I can go home or I can get a job in Asia where they're always hiring, or at least that's what I was told. So I applied first to Japan. I wanted to go to Japan. But the first job that came along was in northern China. And I took the little bit of money I had and I got on a plane from where I was in Europe to uh, Beijing. And I had never been to Asia before. I was, uh, I think it was January 15, 2005, and I landed in Beijing. And the recruiter picked me up and took me across Beijing into the train station to their apartment, which was in Shijiazhuang, which is the capital of Hebei province. Wow. And I was there. It was a complete, everyone says I looked like a deer in headlights because it was a complete shock. 
what what brought you to Taiwan after China? Uh, not after China. Oh my God, that was in 2005. Oh. Uh, just very briefly, I was in China. I ended up moving from northern China. Actually, the recruiter took me into his office and he said, "Look, Wes, I'm very sorry, but no one wants to hire a black guy as a teacher." And I was just like, "Why? You? Could, I mean, I, that's up to you. But why did you even bring me here?" And I just I rejected the job he gave me. I got a job in southern China. I found a job myself on the internet. And I took like the recruiter was a Welsh guy, very nice guy, Gareth Evans, and he said, was "Okay." It, was he very nice though? No, the recruiter in the south, with the oh, new okay, job I okay, got, not the old one. The first job I got, he was a guy who was from Hubei, I guess. He was from right there. So I got a new job, and the guy he knew like I was leaving my old school and coming to a new school. He's like, "Look, this is what you got to do: go over to from where you are, take the train over to Beijing. From Beijing, go down to Guangzhou, Guangzhou City." And then from Guangzhou, jump over to Shenzhen, and I had to get an English to Chinese dictionary and figure out how to say, Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen." <laughs> and I had to, I had to figure it out. And I was like, "How many, how many piao is that?" That's 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 the three. And how many, um, how many hours was that? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven hour train ride from Shenzhen down to Shenzhen. And when I got out of the gates, I left I left the train station, and this guy, Gareth, was waiting right there for me, like, yeah, you're here now. You're good. But I was terrified that I might get off at the wrong stop and just be stuck in the middle of a field somewhere. But I actually got down there. So I was in southern China for two and a half years. And I was in a city where the, it's in Guangdong province, where most people speak Cantonese. But Shenzhen is an immigrant city. Most people there are from different parts of China, so everyone used Mandarin. So I had a chance to practice my Mandarin more when I was there. And I taught English, did a little bit of import-export at the jeans market, electronic markets, helped my friends with some trading while I was there. I went back home. I taught in the Netherlands for almost a year. I went back home. I taught in South Korea for almost a year. And then so after that, I was home for about three years, got into a couple of different businesses, and then I went back to Beijing to study. After I was in Beijing, I lived in Vietnam for almost a year, and then I lived in Japan for almost a year. Yeah, um, coming from Japan and like wanting a place where I have more disposable income, more freedom, and a better standard of living. That's why I chose to come to Taiwan. And also, it's in the middle of Asia, so if I'm it a is traveler, sort of like a little hub, a little island hub of. The Philippines is right there, mm-hmm. Vietnam, <laughs> China, Japan. Yeah, everything's there. So it's a great location. Here's something I'm, I'm very curious about. Do you mm-hmm. do you feel more pressure as a foreigner in Asia to make a good impression? And is that a struggle or a privilege? And I feel like it might be both because I've, I've definitely felt both sides of that coin before too. But I imagine do it must I be different. Feel- Uniquely being a black foreigner, I have to say that. It's like the impression is that this guy's coming in here to cause trouble. I run into that more often than not. And it's just like if I go into a store or a shop to buy something, I would expect the clerk to do their job, but they're acting like, okay, I can't really show weakness around this person or he might try to start a problem with me. That, and I'm contending with that image a lot. And it becomes a weird debacle of what do you do about that? It's just like there's something wrong if you automatically see that when you look at me. There's something wrong with your perception. And then on top of that, do I go out of my way to make this person feel comfortable with me? Or do I just ignore it? Or do I get upset? Right. It's it's wrong that they feel that way, but it's also not your responsibility to offset some sort of yeah. imbalance they start with. So. Or is it? 
Or and that yeah, see, these are the questions. Than, yeah. that, these are the questions that come about. Like, do if you live in this society and it's just like you have to do something to get along better in society from day to day. But how far does that go? Do I have to bend over backwards to make you feel like you're not afraid of me, or do I just say that's how you feel? That's your problem. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, we're not. Neither of us are in America now, obviously. Right. But it does seem that America's actions have flavored the the lives of people from the African diaspora mm-hmm. all across the world. Um, right. What does it mean for people of color in an international context? Okay, talking about Black Lives Matter specifically, the goals of this movement are noble, are progressive, and end to police violence and police corruption in different American cities. I understand that Black Lives Matter, the movement itself, has a program with, I think, 10 points that they want the cities in America to adopt, to implement, and it's been proven that when they implement these points, uh, violence from the police department drops down to like almost zero. So it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, there's a lot of other things that have become associated with the Black Lives Matter movement, like violence and hooliganism. And I think that there are people who show up who do that, who are not connected to the Black Lives Matter movement. What I have seen, especially when the protests were going on, it's like the protests were happening in Taiwan in July, I believe. And they were happening all over Asia. And Black Asian Magazine covered most of it. I think the protests in different parts of Japan, in Korea, here in Taiwan. In Southeast Asia, there's a legality issue with peaceably assembling and protesting. They don't really have a movement there. But here, the sentiment was what I saw from looking in the faces of Taiwanese people. is like there was one you might bring the virus here because you're coming together in large numbers. Two, we watch TV and we see riots. And we don't really understand it. And But we know that this is coming from a place of anger. And there's a question of will you bring that anger and those riots here? That's part of it. The other part of it is we have this movement. If you understand it or if you're trying to understand it, you understand that these people are trying to do something that's just and it doesn't apply to just them. It applies to all of humanity. So for people who are looking, who are scratching the surface, they're looking at it like that and looking at it like black people are leading this protest movement to fix ills in society. So there's these two sides to it. Um. Okay, so uh, finally, are there are there any sort of extra credits or, or special thanks you'd like to give out to the community? Uh, Again, not asking you to play favorites, but uh, you know, there's the opportunity. Let me shout out the people who have, since I've started this, worked with me in producing content. There are too many people who have given interviews for me to enumerate while I'm here, but uh, Garrett Harper in Korea, uh, Roya Arlissu who just started working with us in Korea, uh, Tandy Moyo, who's in Hong Kong, um, who else would I should? Taryn Lua, who's a fantastic social media coordinator and brilliant video editor. She's from South Africa. She's here in Taipei. Uh, Lamar Murray, who's also somewhere in Taiwan right now. I don't know, I sure think you know Lamar. Uh, who else? Let me see. Um, Roland Amasu, uh, who's in, uh, Bangkok and, uh, uh, Jawanza Hobson, who's in Vietnam. All these people have contributed, uh, Kingsley, uh, I forgot Kingsley's last name, but Kingsley's my web designer. I talk to him all the Kingsley's time. Because Kingsley's such a good first name. It, exactly. <laughs> That's the name of the king right there. Uh, Brittany Edwards, who's, I believe, in Chicago right now. And I think that's all, Shanette. I forgot Shanette's last name, but she should be somewhere in southern China right now. 
And those are all the people I can think of right now who've contributed content to the blog, to the website, to enhance it, to make it better, to make it a better experience for viewers and listeners. So thank you to these people very much for sharing with me what I want to do in this vision. And everyone else who's given me an interview. Or <laughs> a lot. And thank you to you for being such an amazing talker, for coming thank into you. ICRT. And uh, if you. you want more info on Black Asia Magazine, you can go to blackasiamagazine.com. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else the, you'd like to, the, to say? The YouTube channel is called Black Asia Magazine, Asia, A-S-I-A-M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E, one word. That's the YouTube channel. And yeah, Facebook, check out our Facebook page, social Instagram. Uh, donate. We have a donate button. This has all been coming from uh, my pocket mostly, but... It helps us to produce more and better content. And that's it. Please support. Please support. Black Asia Magazine, guys. Thank you very much for listening to Taiwan Talks. See you next time.